Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. Seven things that the Lord confronted there in the first century. Seven things that they, in a way, solidified as this is spirituality. This is walking with God. And I want to show you that those seven things are, by and large, still prevalent within our culture. And the question that I want to pose as we deal with these seven things, Whose report will you believe? Because culture has a report. And even Christian culture has a report. Here's how we deal with these seven things. And what the Lord says, I just want to warn you, it's not going to sit good with you. You'll see. He says it's so short, so sweet, so pithy, but if, if, we're, if we're honest, you'll see it does not sit good with us. That's why we don't do it. We'd rather go on with life as usual in these seven things versus doing it exactly the way he says. Those seven things are found in Matthew chapter 5. Let's start there in verse 20. This is the issue of appearance. And the Lord would speak into this and he say in verse 20, I say to you, that is, thus saith Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. This is what the Lord is saying, that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall by no means enter into the kingdom of the heavens. Well, that, that was a tough word because the scribe and the Pharisee pursued righteousness all day long. But their righteousness, again, was a righteousness on the outside, a righteousness in speech. Let's say a righteousness in clothing, a righteousness in, in, in giving, a righteousness in worshiping, a righteousness in prayer, a righteousness in a, a, in a performance-oriented spirituality. And the Pharisee and the scribe wanted people to see him. Please, can somebody just notice me? And I tell you, we live in exactly the same day and age where we, we do certain spiritual practices and we make sure very quickly that we have a little photo there to just be evidential that God and I are on talking terms. That is Phariseeism. That is an external righteousness. That is the tradition of man. You'll see here in Matthew 6, as the Lord continues His, His message regarding the kingdom people, he will, he will hit on this nail. If you want to really go the distance with God, then learn to live in a secret, obscure, hidden way with God. Don't wear your spirituality on your sleeve. Don't role play. Rather, go into a closet. That is 
We should not go into a closet because of fear or timidity. But what he's trying to say is the spiritual man of the day paraded himself. And he says, my kingdom sons and daughters, there'll be people that are not afraid or timid, but their spirituality is not a pretense. It's not a performance. And so he says, unless your righteousness exceeds, listen, external righteousness, there was no one that was qualified to exceed a scribe or Pharisee. So the Lord has to talk about another kind of righteousness. Can you follow with me? It's not like, boy, these guys perform at a 10, but unless you perform at a 12, you can't be a part of my motley crew of people. All the people that hung around Jesus, they could not pray through the night. They could not stay faithful. In performance, they got an F. So obviously the Lord is not inviting us into more performance. He's obviously inviting us into a righteousness that has to do with an inward calibration. Come on, people. Thus saith Jesus, do you live from the heart? Do you live from within? Is there the law of the Spirit of God within? Or is there just the custom and the tradition and the same old, same old on the outside? And do we judge people on the outside? Everybody's hair has to look a certain way. Everybody's got to wear clothes a certain way. And, and that's what spiritual communities have done throughout the past two millennia. And even in the Eastern uh, Oriental uh, uh, religions, everything is about external righteousness. Wear a certain robe. Cut your hair a certain way. Everybody talk a certain way. Everybody eats a certain way. I'm not sure Jesus is inviting us into more external behaviors as much as he's confronting the inside of man. And as you now read onwards here in Matthew 5, then you'll see actually he's confronting the inward righteousness. You may wash your hands on the outside, but inside, if things are off, that's the area that God's coming after. So no spirituality of show here or of performance. God wants people after his own heart, people that are raw, authentic, real, genuine, just honest people. This is what the Lord says. Can you drop all the games and make pretend righteousness? The book of Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6, I think. It says that all of our righteousnesses, that is all of our spiritual acts of worship, all of it is like a filthy rag before God. It amounts to nothing. So surely the Lord is not asking me to perform better. Surely He's putting a finger on the issue of my motive, my insecurity, my need for attention. And this is what Jesus Christ says.
Verse 21. This issue regarding anger. Anger. You have heard that it was said. If you look at verse 22, but I say to you, there's the contrast. The authority figures, the culture says this, I say the following. So we have then a tension here between the status quo, life as usual, the self-righteousness of man, the wisdom of man, that, uh, by the way, the book of James says, is solical, earthly, and even demonic, versus the wisdom and the speaking of Jesus Christ. So you've heard that it was said, don't murder, for whoever murders shall be liable to the judgment. But I say to you, that if you're even angry with your brother, you are liable to the judgment. So, Jesus cuts straight to the heart of the matter. It's as though in religion, I can pretend to get along with you, but inside, I hate your guts. I don't want to resolve this conflict with you. I stay at odds with you, and there is this massive chasm between us. But bless God, we live at legacy together, and so we just fake it till we... Come on, say it. We just fake it till we... And then once we make it, we discover we are... Fakes. But bless God, there is spirituality for you. We suck it up and we just get along. And so what happens is we offend each other. Where two or three are gathered together, there is conflict. Where two or three are gathered together in the name of the Lord, there potentially is the harmony of the brothers and the anointing. But two or three is going to create conflict. So when you don't live in the name of the Lord, even in a Christian community, why do you think so many churches split? It's not really doctrinal. It's because of personal petty offenses. Humans hurt each other. We misunderstand each other. Welcome to planet Earth, you self-centered you. Not everybody's like you. We're all different. We all see the world different. But here's your thing. Because you're an idol worshiper with the I that you worship, that's why you can't get along with other people. That's why you get angry at other people. And of course, they offend me and hurt me. Sometimes they, uh, you know, perpetrate and step over the line. I get that. But this issue is not about them. This issue is about me here in this law. And so the Lord cuts straight to the chase here. Now, I suppose I need to balance my words here, beloved. Do we as humans offend each other? Yes. Do we get angry? Yes. Paul would say to married couples, for instance, don't let the sun set on that anger. We all disappoint. Uh, We all grieve. We all hurt. Welcome to planet Earth. You need to get out of your bubble thinking everybody's always a blessing. People do not live up to expectations. We disappoint. But okay, 
it's okay to get a little angry, to get a little rattled in there. Uh, Paul would even say, be angry and don't sin. Why? It's just human. It's just human. But what is confronted here by the Lord is the custom of the day that just said, I can remain angry and I can remain bitter and I can remain just at odds with you, but at least I didn't kill you. Do you see that, God? Do you see that, Lord? Does that count for anything? So we, we, we presume that taking your life is the worst thing. But the Lord is like, no. Harboring that anger, stewing, brewing that anger, feeding that fire, that, that's an issue for God. And thus say of the Lord Jesus, get over it. Some of you cannot forgive your parents because they didn't come to some kind of a, a, a game or a match or beloved. My parents never came to one thing my entire life. I played sports on a, um, on a big scale. I remember one time in high school for 15 minutes, they pulled up on the cricket field on the side there on the fence, not even where, the, where the, yeah, the stands are, but on the other side of the cricket field, I saw them and my heart just leaped. For the first time ever, my parents came to see me. 15 minutes, they were so bored out of their brains with cricket. It's a different kind of a game. They left. I can just harbor that bitterness or I can just say, hey, maybe they had a rough day. Let them go. I, what the Lord is trying to say here is deal with your stuff. Thus say of the Lord. Get over yesterday. Get over the brother that's offended. Get over it. Now he's going to give an example here where they would say to the one person, you're a fool. And then to the other person, he would say, basically, you can read it there, you're a moron. You are the worst thing that has come across the pages of, of, of humanity. And what the Lord is basically saying, when you tell that person just, hey, you're stupid or you're an idiot, that's one thing. But if you, if you say, hey, you are a moron and you are cursed of God and, and you're not fit to be my friend or, or to be in, in my association or to be my neighbor and you harbor that detestable contempt and derogatory attitude towards that person, the Lord says, hey, this is bad for you. You will be held accountable in the fires of, of Gehenna over that anger in you and that derogatory look down your nose attitude towards this or that person. So you can tell the Lord is really concerned in His New Testament law, His new covenant people that we have an inward calibration, not just an external pretension. Deal with this issue of anger. He also says here now in verse 23 that we need to seek out reconciliation. We need to seek out in anger this issue of reconciliation. And this is an issue they had back in the day. They could not go to the brother and say, hey, let's talk this out. Where did I misunderstand you? Help me. They could not in humility see it from the other person's perspective. So they harbored that anger. And you know, of course, if I don't have understanding, then I have to fill in in my mind what I think you meant, what I think you were after in your actions. And so I create a false 
narrative in my mind and I construct basically a premise in here that I believe is the reality and then I treat you according to that reality. I do it every day. I'm not sure if you're understanding what I'm saying. But if I sit down and talk with you and I reconcile and I try to walk a mile in your shoe and see where you're coming from, why do you scratch your ear this way? Then you can inform me about the real reality. And then, of course, I have a choice. Will I stick with my paradigm of my makeshift reality with you or will I come to what is actually real? And you'll see anger is just really a false reality that you've created. By and large, it's not an absolute statement. But to go reconcile with your brother requires humility. It requires this, this habit of seeking first to understand. It, it requires just communication. And most of us, were afraid of conflict. So I'd rather hate you from a distance than get up close and personal and give you a chance to help me understand. So the Lord is like asking the new covenant people to be brave, not to hide and to avoid, but to confront. That is reconcile. What is reconciliation? It's a confrontation. And yet you and I are so afraid of it. I can speak to this uh, for quite some time, but beloved, the new covenant people are not timid. They're brave people. They talk it out. They hash it out. They get to the bottom line. They don't just hate and stay at odds. The next issue is the issue of sexuality. Sexuality. Do I have your attention? Oh yes, finally I got an amen. Okay. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said. This is the culture speaking. This is the traditions Status quo. Look at verse 28. But I say to you. It's the word of the Lord in Jesus the Christ versus the word of culture. And here it is a little bit regarding sexuality. You've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. When you fool around prior to marriage, it's called fornication. That's actually the word. In English, my rendering is just sexual, loose living. That's what the Bible would call with this big word, being a fornicator. God is not against you wanting sexual intimacy. God is for you making a covenant. God's issue is not with your sex drive. God's issue is, and you'll see in the upcoming section, the very next one's going to deal with the issue of covenant. And the very next issue, it's going to deal with your character. Can you say yes and keep your yes? But 
He deals now with a sexual issue. God's issue is not that you're a man or a woman and crave sexual pleasure and, and desires. Um, we have, it's, it's very unfortunate. It's uh, Christians that have messed up the sexual understanding of things and that falsification of sexuality comes straight out of Christianity, not really paganism. Pagans lived it up. And of course they sinned in living it up the way they did. But we as Christians, we took this word where the Lord would say here, don't even look at a woman with lust. And we took it to such an extent that if a man has an erotic feeling, or a woman, you too for the matter, get eroticized at time. Oh, glory. Why is it so quiet in here? <laughs> Being erotic, that is, having a desire for fleshly intimacy, uh, well, what else are you supposed to have? That's kind of what humans have. have you, haven't you noticed? Have you been to biology class yet? <laughs> Certain time in your teenage years, you're just like, hello. What is going on? That, that Christians throughout church history has interpreted that's of the pit of hell. No, it's not. To desire sexual things, that is, intimacy with a spouse, that's of God. That's human. There's no shame there at all. Christianity is the only real group of people on the planet that has made it shameful. And that's a shame. Throughout church history, men thought, ooh, that woman is pretty. Obviously, I've sinned against you now, God. Okay, so what am I going to do? I'm going to go live in the desert. So they live in the desert, and they keep thinking, man, I would give anything to see a woman. And of their own writings, they struggled with a desire for a woman till their very last breath. And they, what they did is they demonized women. They would say, uh, get behind me, Satan. That's a demon image. I bind you, demon. And for the rest of his life, the more he tries to fight this thing, the more this fire just grows. Uh, hello, ladies. You may not understand this, but a man wants a woman. And men, you may not understand this, but the woman, they're not going to say this, but I'll speak for them. They want a man. Pardon the French. So these monks, they lived there in the desert. Then one monk got very serious with this issue of a desire for a woman. So he decides, I'll take a knife. And bite on the stick. And we are going to shorten some things in our humanity. So they snip and they cut and they chainsaw. <laughs> and somehow it never leaves them. And today you and I live in this exact same culture. I don't want to talk to you much about sexuality. I'm a teacher of spirituality. But I know that the men I minister to and the woman that sits under my ministry, they can't really connect with God because they're plagued by condemnation because of the desire to, you know, copulate. 
And so they constantly feel like I'm a worm. I'm a, I'm a, I just, why would God love me? And it's from this particular passage. And it's because we just don't even read what Jesus was saying. Well, before we get to what Jesus is saying, I just remind you, the Corinthian church had a problem of sexuality. They were very loose and promiscuous and fornicating and adulterizing. And one man slept with his mother and yada, 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 yada. I mean, it was wild. But Paul never called their sexual craving or their desire or their... He never called it of the devil. He just said, basically, a young man, if you're burning with lust, that is, with desire, and your loins are on fire, how's that for poetic? Then he said, just marry. Because the issue is not the fire in your loins. The issue is, can you commit and covenant in your being? This is what God is after. And Paul is like, hey, the issue of fire is not wrong. What is the issue is you have the fear of missing out and the fear of better options. And you don't want to just commit to this one and say, till death do us part. No, you want to experiment. And the Lord now speaks into this particular situation, but He speaks into the situation of marriage. When you've committed, when you've made a covenant, which is the next thing he's going to address, and you've said yes, yes, and you said no, no, at the same time to the rest out there, then he says, you should not now look for grass that are greener on the other side. This is not an indictment against your loins burning with fire, passion, a passion, <laughs> And that's what Christians have done. The issue, adultery is an issue within marriage. And a Jewish man, if he was, if the wife did not bear him children, if the, let's just say the wife did not please him the way he scripted pleasure to be, then he can, or she didn't cook, stew good enough. Or for whatever reason, a man was superior. Listen, a woman was like a notch above a dog. No dignity was bestowed to a woman or no honor or you had no worth and value back in those days, so to speak. Sorry, ladies. Men did not think the image of God applied to a woman. So men would marry this woman and to copulate for posterity. Maybe the woman cannot produce or maybe she's not this or that. And then he's like, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And out is that woman on the street. And this injunction here is for men to stick it with the woman that you brought to the prom. Dance with the one you brought to the prom. Proverbs would say, drink from your own well. Let that woman please you, the, the wife of your youth. There's no indictment against the pleasure, it's actually seek it, enjoy it, so to speak. But here the man is married, married, and so he looks at another woman because he has the fear of better options, the fear of missing out. And so he can just say, I divorce you, I divorce you. And the Lord is coming against it and said, 
you're already missing it because something in your heart is off by just even looking to the other side of the fence. And so they said here, the Jewish people, so to speak, let's say the religious people, they created a custom and tradition. Well, I'll stay married to this one, but I'll keep sleeping around with that one in my mind or my head. Or I'm practicing unfaithfulness. And the Lord had a problem with that. We all lust in our heart. We all fantasize in our heart. We all wish and script a reality of what we want and think. And to a certain extent, there's not an absolute statement, that's what eroticism is all about. You know sex is in the mind? But what is happening here with this married man in covenant is he's conspiring. Hmm, what can I do to get across the fence? And the Lord's like, no, don't even conspire because that is divorce already. So we think divorce is on paper. The Lord might say, no, divorce is in heart. When you're already looking elsewhere, because that might be a better option, then you've already divorced. And God hates divorce. Because what the Lord has brought together, no man should separate. Amen. So I, I can go into this a lot, but it's, it's not the issue of sexuality, really. It's the issue of, can you commit? Can you stay faithful? Now listen, none of us can commit. None of us can stay faithful because we're all, we have eyes, we have ears. We all have FOMO. We need the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is not going to do away your sexual desire. He wants to channel it into covenant, which is exactly then what the next thing is all about. To, to work with your sexuality, you've got to become a person of covenant. The Lord would say, you pluck your eye out or you cut your hand off or whatever. Basically, don't let things get in the way of your sexuality with your spouse, your faithfulness to your spouse. It's okay to be lame and to lack and to be limited. But that loose living and that loose heart, the Lord says, no, that's adultery already in the making. Deal with it. Verse 33. Again, you've heard that it was said to the ancients, but verse 34. I tell you, and this is this issue of making oaths and vows and you swear. It's really an issue of your word and your, your character and your, 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 your conduct and, 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 and your covenant. They took all these vows, but because their character was so in question, they had to vow by heaven and they had to vow by earth and name dropping and associating with Jerusalem and associating. And, and the Lord actually just said, can you just stand on your own and let your word be your character and your bond? And he speaks into that issue of just their character, their word. Uh, we, we, we live in exactly the same age. 
Do you have character? Is your yes your yes? Or must you appeal and manipulate by some other authority of the heavens or let's say Jerusalem or the earth or even your head? We talked about again this the other day. And it's as though the Lord is saying the covenant people are yes, yes, and no, no people. I want to encourage you that if you really want to walk in this new covenant lifestyle, learn to say yes and stick it out. Learn to say no and stick it out. It's an issue of your character. So you've heard that it was said. Culture defined character a certain way. And here comes, thus saith the Lord. This is what I say about people of character. They say yes. They say no. Culture said this about divorce. I say no. Culture said this about adultery. Culture said this about anger. Thus saith the Lord. Whose report will you believe? Come here to verse 38. You have heard that it was said, and the contrast there is verse 39, but I say to you. Culture saith, saith thus, <laughs> and Jesus saith thus. And here's a difficult one. This is one that is my struggle. It was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Get even. But I say to you, don't resist the person who is evil. I mean, right there, Jesus lost me. Um, can you not agree with me this is a difficult word but he abused me but he hurt me but he took from me the Lord does not clarify how the evil was done to you really he puts the pressure on you to not resist But are you saying, Francois, we can just be ongoingly be taken advantage of? I'm not sure the Lord would be saying that. I think what he is saying is don't close off your heart and become imprisoned through your anger and your bitterness and your vengeance. Let it stew there, that spirit of revenge. Because when you, when you, when you resist and you build these walls, you become an island and you become bitter and jaded and cynical. I wonder if the Lord might be speaking more to that than saying, hey, just let the abuser ongoingly abuse you. Does it make sense? Does it make sense? This is a difficult word here. And I don't want to just glibly say, oh, let somebody keep taking advantage of you. That's, that would be injustice, right? But still the Lord's word is hard. Don't resist. And then he gives a couple of examples. He says, whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Oh, Lord, help. 
That's a difficult word. To the person who wishes to sue you and to take your tunic, give that person your cloak also. So yeah, the person is taking advantage of you and he's suing you and you're about to lose your, 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 your family, your, your property maybe, even the Lord will say, let him strip you. Give to him another cloak. Uh, don't resist. Let it be. I can't make sense of this. I can't teach this. I can hardly live this. I am not here yet. It's the Word of God, and I'm just reading it for you. But if, if Jesus Christ is not real and immersed into my being, there's no way that I'm going to give you who stole from me. Oh, you, you took my bicycle? Uh, here, here's my boat, please. Uh, you, that is, we just don't do that. And yet, thus say of Jesus. May I propose my speculative intention of God here? He's basically saying, kind of like Job, just allow yourself to be stripped. What I think the Lord might be saying here, again, this is my speculation, please. What I think He might be saying is, God the Father has the last laugh and the last say. You may be butt nakedly stripped right now, but vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'll repay. I will repay. I will restore the years that the locusts have stolen. I will, Job. It says that the Lord repaid Job, I believe, seven times. In a way, by the Lord saying, don't you take up a crusade. Don't you fight and chop off ears. Don't you build walls around you, become this cold, cynical, victimized person. Look to God by giving that other tunic in a way you're trusting that God will come through for you at some time or another. Does it make sense? Because we as humans believe in justice now. And of course, the law was given to the Old Testament people for justice, to, to, to live a kind of a, a lifestyle of dignity and honor in a, in a civilian capacity. But even within that lifestyle and that tradition that was created, there was still this, this, this issue of injustice. And the only way to, to deal with it is to get even now. And here comes Jesus and he says, uh-uh. I, I submit to you, he might be saying, are you really trusting God to have the last say of you in your life? Are you really trusting God to have the last laugh in your life. He says here, when a uh, Roman person compels you to go with him a mile and carry, let's say, this or that, then go with him actually another mile. So he's, he's saying the covenant people are the extra mile people, the extra tunic people. They don't keep score. They don't give a tenth of their possessions. They, they get stripped but naked. That is, everything is God's. God will repay me. I don't keep score. One mile, ooh, two miles. 
He's talking here about an empty people, a vulnerable people. Apparently, these are the kingdom people. When a person asks of you and a person wants to borrow from you, then give and let them have. This is an issue of justice. Will God be the one justifying you? Or will man be the one justifying you? So in the old era, they said, no, it's up to me to get vengeance. And, and even in our culture, beloved, as much as our culture is currently under a revolution, I submit to you, it won't last. Because it's a revolution of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You can probably redefine the culture, but you... Unless we do it Christ's way, there will not be a new creation reality. You'll see we may suppress a monster in one particular area. It's just going to rear his head in another area. There's nothing new under the sun. We may be in a revolution, but it's not a revolution of the Spirit. It's a revolution of justice. And do we believe in justice? Yes. But you'll notice every single day I try to watch the news just a little bit. The spirit that I pick up is the spirit of broken, hurting people. But it's the tradition of the culture. I for an I. Thus saith Jesus. And then he gets to the next one and this is our last one. It's this issue of love for the select few versus love for mankind at large. And here it is in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, verse 44, but I say to you. So it was said you can hate your enemy, Love your neighbor. And you define, by the way, who's your neighbor. You, you define your circle of friends that you love. But the rest, I can be at odds with. So the Lord said, no, no, no. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This way you're going to become sons of your Father who is in the heavens. You see, when you select who you love... You select who's your buddy old pal. You select who's your tribe. Then you are the son of man. You're the son of culture. You're a byproduct of this earth. But you begin to branch out and love people. Just love mankind. Even pray for an enemy. Whew. Now the Lord says, you are beginning to operate in the identity of another realm. You're a son of another dimension. You're putting something else on display. And then he's going to go on here and he's going to say, basically, you know, even the heathen love the heathen. The lost love the lost. And kind just loves its own kind. If you just do that, you're not going to be really different. My people, my kingdom people, my new constitution requires you to Love beyond the, bar the borders of culture. And then, in closing, these seven things, let me read them for you. Appearance, 
the issue of anger, the issue of sexuality and divorce, covenant in that divorce issue, the issue of character, that yes, yes character, this issue of justice and this issue of not just having your little tribe. You see, even within the Christian circles, denominationalism is nothing but spiritual tribalism. It's all it is, kind after its own kind. And it's very unfortunate that in the denominational system, which has got nothing to do with God, I'm absolutely not for any denomination. People ask me all day long, what kind of a denomination? Listen, sons of the Father who is in the heavens. Our denomination, our little tribe, our little clique, or what you might call my country club spirituality, is not of this world. I'm not of Peter, I'm not of Paul, I'm not of Apollos. I don't espouse any movement on this earth or a man or a message or a ministry. Neither should you. That's just my suggestion. So that you can begin to be identified with your Father who's in the heavens. And you notice Christians also, what we do because of our denominationalism is we demonize one another. I can't have fellowship with them because they are wrong. And we will talk on that. Christians should fellowship on the basis of life, not on the basis of the light that's in you. The light in us is all a little bit different because we're in progress in different stages. But we're born of the same life. That's why humans can fellowship with humans regardless of age. Why? Because they're born of the human race. What qualifies you to fellowship with humans is not your light, but the life in you. Does it make sense? It's the same in spirit. But so Christians demonize each other. And we break this burden of Jesus. We break this command. We we break this high standard, as some might say. I've watched Christians now for quite some time. We're afraid to sit at the table with a person that's unlike me. Watch when Christians come together, they flock only to the corner of the room where they suspect of their own judgment. There's somebody like me. It's called tribalism and it's called prejudice. Here the Lord says, in a way, go find the least likely. Go find somebody that's not at all like you. (laughs) And say, hey, teach me who you are. Show me who you are. What makes you tick? And we're so insecure, because if I associate with you, what would that look like? What would people say? And now watch us, we're afraid. And here the Lord says, man, you're just in thus saith man, thus saith fear, thus saith prejudice, thus saith your own intimidation and timidity. Get over it. Get over it. I dare you guys to not be so clicky. How do you say clicky? Not be so limited. Love mankind. 
Even the worst person. Easier said than done, okay? I'm not there yet, but at least I'm going to for now say, Amen, Jesus. And at the same time, Oh, Lord, Jesus, help me. <laughs> Let me close by saying verse 48. Have I communicated? Yes. He closes here and he says, when this issue of appearance can be dealt with and this issue of anger can be dealt with and this issue of your sex life can be dealt with and your covenant keeping marriage life can be dealt with and your issue of character can be dealt with and that vengeance, getting even spirit in you, can be dealt with. Where the Lord would say, mercy triumphs over judgment, people. And Paul, uh, sorry, uh, the book of James would also say, the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. If these things can be dealt with, I desire mercy, the Lord said, not sacrifice. Mercy is an issue of your inner disposition and your inner constitution. If these issues of loving mankind can be dealt with, then you can understand verse 48. This is how you will be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Do we make mistakes? Yes. Do I blow it? Welcome to my life. Welcome to planet Earth. But yet the Lord said, if these internal issues can be recalibrated, confronted, sanctified, can be dealt with, then you're going to be perfect. Which is, by the way, something that all of us ache for. We want to be found perfect. We want to be found complete. We want life to work. And here he gives at least seven suggestions of what has to be confronted readjust it, recalibrate it for you to come into perfection and to live this perfect life. Not a, let's say, sinless life, but a dealt with life, a complete life. These seven things, in a way, complete you in your inner man before God. Can you all follow with me? So don't think be perfect, that is flawless. But these seven things are worked into you. You're, you're in rhythm with the Spirit regarding these things. This is how you will demonstrate completeness in your spirituality. Thus saith the Lord versus thus saith man. Whose report, whose speaking will you believe and whose authority will have sway over your inner man. Amen.